You may be seated. Man, good morning, Coastal Church. It is great to see you all this morning. And uh, man, I feel like I haven't preached a sermon in a while, probably because I haven't. So, um, uh, but it's great to be here. And so if you have your Bible, do me a favor, turn with me um, uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Thank you, Joey. And um, <clears throat> we're going to pick up where we left off. And while you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of information I think you'll be interested in. Uh, unfortunately, but again, this is where we trust in the sovereignty of God. Our uh, closing on the Kroger building has been pushed back by a week, uh, not by us, by, by Kroger. So, uh, but that's okay. We know the Lord is sovereign, but I'm still excited about that. So just be in prayer about that. Uh, once we close, okay, we have a great schedule in mind. We have an aggressive schedule. Uh, we're hoping to be in that building by next Easter. And I'm telling you, that's aggressive. So it's a floating, clo- you know, uh, first service kind of date. Um, however, as part of that is we want to give a little bit of sweat equity to the building. So once we close, uh, we're going to put in front of you guys a plan for some sweat equity and some places that you can be involved. And uh, we have a plan in place that if anybody in this room wants to be involved, there's a place for you, okay? So to give some time and some service and some sweat equity. So that's exciting. We're getting there. So thank you for your prayers. Those of you who have been donating to the building fund, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It's a big part of this. You can continue to pray as we're interviewing contractors. I mean, we uh, we priced this this build out at about a million dollars, and uh, man, that's a believe it or not, that's a God number. Okay, so we're already seeing the hand of the Lord work, and uh, we're seeing some numbers come in that are pleasantly surprising uh, to the church. So continue to pray for that. Uh, I'm going to start with First Timothy three. This is uh, this is one of these sermons that um, you know is probably the last couple weeks, quite frankly, uh, as we've as we've gone through Timothy, have been one of these ones. It's like, uh, so what's the so what? The so what uh, is that the gospel message of Jesus Christ goes forward uh, to, to find, help people find the saving knowledge of Christ um, through the gospel. And so let me, before I start this morning, um, give you, uh, take you back to why I decided to do this series through 1 Timothy. First of all, each year I try to make sure we go through at least one book of the Bible as a church. I want to make sure, you know, it's my job as a pastor to preach uh, uh, the entire counsel of the word of God. God. And, and I think sometimes in churches in America, especially as we don't go through the word of God verse by verse or chapter by chapter, sometimes as a pastor, we tend to skip some of the tougher passages of scripture. And so, you know, the last time I preached, I preached on the role of women inside the church. Then I left town. Okay. That's how I handled that. So, uh, and so we skip over some of those difficult passages and I don't want to do that. Of course, I want to make sure you as believers, as followers of Jesus are equipped with the entire counsel of the word of God. And, and uh, really, if uh, and so I started this series because back uh, as I was planning my sermon calendar, um, I thought we were in the process as a church of doing campuses, multiple campuses. And because I knew we were going to be on multiple sites, I wanted to make sure as a church we understood um, how we were structured and what that structure looked like. It's some key components of what we believe. Now, I know that God's changed our direction a little bit, but as we grow as a church and there's more and more people coming, the influence of coastal expands. I want to make sure we all understand, hey, we want to build a biblical church, even in the area of structure, because Paul is instructing this young t- pastor, Timothy, on how to structure his church at Ephesus so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will go forth in a healthy manner. Does that make sense? And so this morning, uh, we're going to dive into the biblical idea of elders, okay, or bishops or overseers, as Paul talks about. And, and the purpose of 
that is so that you understand, man, what should a church, what should the church leadership look like? Now, we're not going to get into how decisions are made because that's not what Paul's addressing here. We may skirt on that a little bit. I cover that in our We Are Coastal class. If you've been investigating coastal and you're like, hey, what's my next step to be involved? I want to encourage you. In August, we're doing our We Are Coastal class. I want to encourage you to come to that, okay? We really unpack a lot of that here. I'm going to make a bold statement, okay? Leadership in the church is huge. This is a blanket statement, and so you may be able to poke some holes in it another time, but I think it's generally true. As church leadership goes, so goes a church, okay? How decisions are made. What happens behind the scenes is equally important as what happens here on Sunday morning. And I would challenge you that in America, where there are dying churches, there is dying leadership. And where there's solid leadership, that God blesses that and leads a church in a healthy manner. And I'm going to conclude this morning with the idea that if this is your home church, you are very blessed. And it's not because Pastor Sean's the pastor. It is, it's because you have great leadership behind the scenes. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. And part of that is this idea that we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we take it seriously. We believe that the church should be led by spiritual men that are, in general, living up to the passage of 1 Timothy 3. And so, Pastor Joey, by the way, did an amazing job two weeks ago. He skipped ahead for me. I wanted to deal with elders, and so I asked him to deal with the idea of deacons. I grew up in a Baptist church, all right? And I, and I would say that, that in most, and again, blanket statement, I get it, but that's how I grew up, and I'm aware of the culture. Most Baptist churches in America, they flip-flop the idea of elders and deacons, And so Pastor Joey did a great job of defining for us what is a deacon, how does a deacon function, what is their role, how do they serve the church. And at Coastal, we believe that if you're a leader of a ministry, if you're a small group leader, if you're heading up a ministry, if you're leading anything, you're deaconing at Coastal Community Church, you're serving in a ministry, great job. We need each and every one of us to lead in order to have a healthy church. But this morning we want to talk about elders and pastors. First Timothy chapter three, verse one. Now, uh, um, Pastor Joey's going to um, do his happy dance. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV this morning. I don't have time to talk about the importance of different translations and how translations take place. Okay, I do think that the ESV, which is what I would call a word-for-word translation, is important here because that's how I want to unpack the text. Does that make sense? So, so your Bible in the chair in front of you. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, take that one with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. But this morning. Morning, that's an NLT. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, okay? Paul writes this to young Timothy and setting up his elder team, his, as we call it, or his elder board. said, this is a trustworthy saying. This is tr- saying is trustworthy. Anyone aspires to the office of o- overseer. Now, let me stop there, all right? The Apostle Paul says, first of all, anyone aspires to be an overseer. The word anyone here is a masculine pronoun that agrees with the masculine pronouns throughout the rest of the text. In fact, there's no doubt in in good biblical scholarship that he here, Paul here, is referring to men as overseers. In fact, the qualifications here wouldn't even make sense if if Paul was referring to to women because he he addresses the men as leaders. He says, you need to be a one-woman man. We're going to come back to that, okay, in just a minute. 
I preached on this on July 5th, okay? And, and one of the things I said on July 5th is in our scriptures, sometimes we do a little bit of a disservice, if you will, uh, by putting in chapters and verses. This, these were paragraphs that were to be read out loud at your local church, okay? This letter. And so chapter two, chapter three, the apostle Paul is dealing with Timothy on church structure, and he is very specifically talking about men and women's roles inside the church. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so you can, I'm not going to unpack my sermon from July 5th. You're welcome to read that or listen to that online, but uh, there's no doubt. And so at Coastal, we believe the Bible teaches that the role of the elder, the role of the pastor is reserved for men. Paul then says, if a person aspires to this, the idea here is a healthy aspiring, not a, not a drive for title or position, but the idea of a humble calling to serve in the local body, the local church in this way as an elder. Uh, for myself, uh, I actually knew at a young age um, that God was calling me to be a pastor. My mom tells me stories when I was five years old that I would I would sit on a stand on a stump at my grandma's house and I would preach to an imaginary group of people. Isn't that crazy? I was a lunatic even at five, okay? And, and, you know, I became a Christian at a young age. I was one of the young kids that stood in front of his church and had believer's baptism, okay? During my teen years, I went through probably what most teen, teenagers go through that are growing up in a Christian home, right? You start to wrestle with, hey, you know, I was brought up this way, but do I believe this on my own? And, and God continued to lead me. And I, at a young age, and I committed my life, I kind of recommitted as a young teenager, um, and, and I just, God's hand was with me on this call. And as a young age, as a teenager, I, I, uh, I, uh, there's a couple guys that I'm spending some extra time with here at Coastal Church, and we each gave kind of our, our calendar, our, our spiritual journey recently. And one of the things I said, at God, by his grace, at a young age, probably 15, 16, 17, I was heavily in the word of God, and I spent a lot of time highlighting and writing, and God began to shape my thoughts at a young age as a teenager by his word. And as I came through Timothy and I read the qualifications of what it meant to be a leader in the church— at a young age, I began to say, that's the kind of man that I want to be and grow into. And um, do I make mistakes along the way? Of course, I wasn't perfect. And so I educated myself according to my calling that I felt God, God had on my life. But I, here's the deal. I waited patiently for the Lord to open doors of leadership. I was never pushing. In the meantime, I served. If there was a speaking opportunity, I took it. When I was in Bible college, I spoke every single week at a retirement community. As I did their Sunday morning service, I began to hone some of the skills that I believed that God wanted me to be and who he was steering me to be. I served in volunteer ministries, and then when vocational opportunities took, to ha I had vocational opportunities, I used those to sharpen my gift and my calling, and uh, because I wanted to become the man that God outlines in this, in this passage. But I didn't push, I didn't push, I just planned. God affirmed, and he opened doors and authenticated um, what I sensed him to be doing in my life at a very young age, okay? So Paul says, it's okay to aspire, we don't push. God opens the doors in his time. It's okay to aspire. And then he says, okay, to aspire to be an overseer. The word overseer, okay, is translated. Uh, the idea is, the, is that of a bishop, okay? Now, I don't have time, and I, if you come to our Wheel Coastal class, I unpack this further, okay? But uh, the idea of, of bishop or overseer or pastor or elder are oftentimes used interchangeably throughout the scriptures as leaders within the church, like there's a passage in Peter where all three Greek words, bishop, overseer, pastor, elder, all used in the text all to, to refer to the same individual, okay? 
And the idea is one of a manager, and, a, and, and that's a bishop. A, a pastor is a, the idea of a shepherd, and the, the idea of an elder is that of being spiritually mature. And Paul says that if somebody wants to be an overseer, they aspire to that. It's a good thing. And what, what's the job description of an overseer? Well, they're to lead their church. They're to cast vision for their church. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. They're to preach and to teach. 1 Timothy 5, 17. If you were a part of a, of a Presbyterian church, they would call the se- what we call the senior pastor at Coastal, uh, the, they would call that person the teaching elder. Okay, There, there are several elders, but the, the lead teacher is the, is the teaching elder. They're preaching to teach. James chapter 5, the elders are to pray for the sick. 1 Peter 5, they're to care for their church. 1 Peter 5, they're to lead by example. Acts chapter 15, the elders are to set church policy. The church knows where they're going with their vision. 1 Timothy chapter 4, the elders are to ordain other leaders. That means they're to be noticing their flock and saying, man, who is God raising up into leadership and equipping them to be leaders in their church? And so at Coastal, the elders' job description is to set the, set the general direction for Coastal Community Church. We, uh, as we've grown as a church, we have had to tweak how decisions are made. One of the phrases we now use at Coastal behind the scenes with the elders is we're staff-led, but we're elder-protected. The elders are in charge of protecting everything about Coastal Community Church. The elders can tap the brakes anytime they want to make sure that there's unity and there's direction, okay? They're to give spiritual leadership to Coastal Community Church. And so Paul says it's trustworthy saying, 1 Timothy 3, 1, it's trustworthy, it's a saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Let me park here for a minute. The word noble. The word noble means it's a good calling. If someone aspires to church leadership, that's a good calling. It's a noble thing. It's high quality. I've used this illustration before, but uh, you know, I never. I, sometimes I have a new audience a little bit. Okay, so let me let me just as parents, let me encourage you with this. I, when I was a youth pastor in Georgia years ago, 17, 18 years ago, I was a youth pastor in Georgia. I had a kid, um, <clears throat> good Christian kid, came up in a Christian home. Okay, went with me to a youth camp, came home, said to his parents, "Hey, you know what? I believe God may be calling me into ministry." Now I know what he meant by that. He meant vocational ministry, and I've I started to separate because uh, I believe every Christian's in ministry. All right, but there is vocational ministry sometimes when a church can afford to do that. They can't always, and then it's lay leaders. That's great. God raises up leaders, okay? But uh, this young man was saying, I think he was saying, I, I think God might be calling me to vocational ministry. First words out of his dad's mouth. There's no money in that. To which I was like, you may have crushed in this young, I'm not saying, listen, when a young person comes to me, It says, Pastor Sean, God is calling me into ministry. One of the things I say in the culture here in America, okay, the the, the church in America is dying. Does everybody recognize that? It's not growing. It's one of the few places on earth that the church isn't growing. It should grieve us. But the reality is when a young person comes to me, I say, look, the vocational opportunities as the church is dying are becoming less and less. And the apostle Paul is very clear as a missionary. He was a tent maker. He did, he had a side job to provide for himself and provide for his family so that then he could serve the church. And so I, a lot of times I tell young people, hey, that's awesome. If God's calling you, you might want to be prepared to be a tent maker. If God opens vocational opportunities, fantastic. But you will serve in a church. That's great. There's a lot of places to serve. 
And so it's a good calling. And be careful, parents. If your young person comes home and says, honor that and grow that and nurture that. And maybe it'll be vocational opportunities. That's fantastic. But maybe not. There's still a place of service. And so Paul says, man, if a person desires, he desires a noble. And the second word here is task. He desires a noble task. You know what the word task means? It means hard work. There's no, no place for laziness in ministry. Vocational or otherwise. I remember a couple years ago, many years ago now, my um, oldest son <clears throat> was on a 9-10 Pocosin all-star team, okay? And I got invited to be the assistant coach. And so the head coach, he had a very stringent work schedule. He had to be at work early in the morning. So what we decided to do, because you only had two weeks till the tournament, and so we wanted to make the most use of our two weeks in practice. And so what we decided to do is I said, I'll get up early in the morning with the kids. I'll throw batting practice so they can get their batting practice in. And then, you know, I'll work a little later. You come later in the afternoon, and you'll start an evening session that will work on defensive skills, okay? So I, got, I would get up with the kids. I mean, these are... Some of y'all that aren't sports people are going to think this is nuts, okay? But we got these kids out about 7, 7.30 in the morning during the summer. Go ahead. You can grow and say I'm not. So that's what we did, okay? And so it was one morning. I'm out there. I'm throwing batting practice, and, I'm tr- and the kids are dragging because they're tired, you know? We're trying to get their swings and get their practice in. And I'm like, and so I start yelling. I'm like, come on, kids. Let's hurry up, you know? Like, we got, I got to get to work, you know? And this one kid goes, I thought you were a preacher. <clears throat> I said, I am. What's I got to do with it? He goes, I thought you only worked on Sunday, you know? And I said, you fit right into my congregation. You ought to come on out sometime, you know? And listen, I joke about that all the time. I always talk about, you know, you work one day a week. But let me tell you, let me just take a pause here. Like, that's a joke, okay? Um, Let me be clear about the hard work of being a pastor or being an elder. It's always with you. It's always with you. There's, there's no punch out clock. Woo, it's Friday, five o'clock, boom, I'm off the clock. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not carrying the burden in my soul. And when you're not there physically, it's present in your mind, it's present in your soul, it's present in your spirit. You're engaged all the time. Yesterday morning, I was in North Carolina. My son's in a baseball tournament this weekend. I was in North Carolina, 9 o'clock in the morning. I'd missed a call. It was our intern, our youth intern. And I thought, oh, no. All right? So I call him back immediately. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, man, I'm so glad you called. I'm trying to find where the basketball pickup game is today, and I'm lost, you know? And I gave him directions. He's like, he's like, man, thank you so much for calling me back. And I hung up with him. He had no idea why I called him back. It wasn't so he couldn't find the basketball game. If I'd have known that's what it was, I'd have let him flounder, you know? Uh, I'm in charge. And this is the student ministry. And I get a call at 9 in the morning. You want to know where my mind goes to? Something's wrong, right? And this is my day off, right? I got a team in Bolivia, man. I pray about that. It's on my heart. It's on my soul. There's a responsibility. Your elders feel that same weight. I've been called. I've spent countless hours on my vacation managing things at Coastal. I've seen your elders cut their vacation short or Skype into a very important meeting when things needed to be managed and and shepherded around here. Myself and your elder team and your pastors, man, they've served people till all hours of the night. 
Pastoring and, el- and being an elder requires maximum effort and maximum attention at all times. You never, and church, I want you to know this, and I'm, I'm only covering this. This is not like, oh, you know, feel sorry for Sean. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I've known since I'm five years old. This is the call of God upon my life, okay? So it's not a sorry thing. I just want you to be aware I'm teaching on this subject this morning, okay? You never get to click it off. There's never a day off, if you will. And I want to challenge you, church, with this, okay? Please, please, please be patient with your pastors and elders when they don't show up to the event that you organized or that you worked hard on and that you planned. I want to tell you something. A church this size, there's something going on every single night of the week, no question about it. And so as church leaders, we have to decide, we have to look at our calendar and we have to prioritize and we say, what are the things we absolutely have to be at and what can be capably led by other members of the church body? Does that make sense? And I'm going to talk about why this is important a little bit later in this text, but be patient with your pastors and elders, okay? And so Paul gives a sense of the job description here. All right. And then he gives a list of qualifications for a church elder, or church pastor. And what I find interesting about this, this list is not that it's like super Christian. It's that it's remarkably attainable of a person that's a follower of Jesus. And Jesus shapes them, a person by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit should grow into these qualifications. So here's the qualifications. Ready? First Timothy three, verse two. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. So Paul gives a list of what they must be, okay? Must be above reproach. Pastor Joey did a great job on this a couple weeks ago with deacons. Same word used for deacons. It means their life is without handles. They They can't be dragged around because they've made some mistakes and the culture or an individual can drag them in a direction other than the direction that God is leading the church, all right? It means that they generally have a good name. The Greek word is a present participle. Okay, and here's what that means. That means this. It it means that you presently can't be dragged around by a bad name. And the reason I bring that up is we all have things in our past. We're like, oh, man, if the past disqualified you for leadership, the Apostle Paul, above all, would be disqualified. Yes. And thank God that God redeems the past by his grace. It's a present point. It's the idea that you're actively sinning or you're actively, uh, the, the body of your work is that of righteousness and holiness and purity. It means that our lives before Christ, uh, you know, whenever we bring on a new elder, do we discuss the past? Of course we do. We want to make sure this person's above reproach. Does it mean it disqualifies? Of course not. Okay, we want to make sure this person is presently living to honor the Lord. Paul says that the person must be a husband of one wife. Literally, the word means a one-woman man. I think Paul chose this word uh, specifically here. I think churches at times have gotten this idea wrong, actually. This is not a, Paul's not saying that an elder has to be married. This isn't a marital status thing, all right? An elder can be single. It doesn't, it doesn't rule out singles, it doesn't even rule out that you can never have a divorce in your past. I think churches have done that. If you're divorced, you're disqualified from church leadership. I don't think it means that. Paul could have chosen a Greek word that specifically said you can't be divorced. That's not what he chose. He chose the idea of being a one-woman man. Now, I want to be clear on divorce, okay? The church in America has gone light on divorce. 
Man, we've gone heavy on homosexuality. And I agree, we should go heavy on that as a sin. Man, we've gone heavy on adultery, maybe, and some other sexual perversions. And by the way, when I use the word perversion, what I mean by that is God has given us a plan for sex and sexuality. And anything outside of that is a perversion of what God has designed for what is best for humanity. Does that make sense? Man, we've gone light on divorce. And in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16 reminds us God hates divorce. It's destructive. And so, you know, church, it, it, but I will say this, it doesn't rule, divorce doesn't rule a person out from being a leader. I think it's something that needs to be discussed, okay? But I want to tell you something. Paul uses the word here, one woman man. And I've known plenty of church leaders that have never been divorced and, and they're in leadership, but they're not one woman men. They're flirtatious. They have, they're, they're quick to let their eyes wander. They haven't, as Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. To not look at another woman. A one woman man means that if you're married and you're a leader, you've got eyes for one woman. To serve that woman, to grow old with that woman. I think that this idea of a one woman man rules you out for church leadership if you have a pornographic addiction. Now, can there be a season of healing, repentance, and restoration? Of course, of course. If that's a struggle of yours and you have this aspiration of church leadership, you need to get help. You need to repent. Repent means I'm going to stop doing it. Okay? By the power of the Spirit, by the power of, with community and overcome and grow in Christ. All right? It means that the idea is having sexual integrity. The passage also, by the way, and why am I addressing this? Because I think it's where our culture is going. The passage rules out polygamy which was very common when this text was written, ancient Near Eastern culture. Why do I say that? I think that's the next boundary that's going to be pushed in American culture. Okay, it's coming quickly. And by the way, church members, okay, just if you're a member of Coastal Community Church, we're going to put in front of you in a few weeks a constitutional change. We have found out since the Supreme Court ruling, same-sex marriage, um, that we have to define marriage in our constitution so if someone comes here and asks us to do a same-sex marriage, we can say no to that because, you know, it's what we believe the Bible teaches. And so we've got to make a constitutional change. That's coming. We're going to put it in front of you and we're going to vote on it in a few weeks. Okay. So just so you know. All right. And, and so, and part of that is defined here in scripture. Okay. So Paul says they need to be a one woman man. They need to be sober minded, self-controlled and respectable. It means they need to have an orderly life. They need to be easy to be around. They need a person, a leader needs to not be quick to lose their temper. One of the things that separates an elder from a deacon is this one, where Paul says they need to be able to teach. The main difference between an elder and a deacon doesn't necessarily, I don't think, mean that a person needs to be a great order, all right? Obviously, there are skills that God gives some people to be excellent public speakers, and, and some, they're not as skilled. But I do think that an elder and a pastor must be able to handle the word of God, they need to be able to, to give counsel and instruction and godly wisdom. They need to be able to aptly understand and address false teaching. They need to be able to uphold the Bible and biblical doctrine for the purity of the church. That is one of the big differences between an elder and a deacon. 
So if you're growing in the Lord and you're deaconing at Coastal Community Church, you're serving, let me encourage you. The next step is for you to be, know, is to know the word of God, spend extra time in the word of God so that you can help lead the church in doctrinal purity. So Paul says, here's what they must not, must, must be. Now he says, here's what they must not be. First Timothy 3.3, 3. they must not be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome and not a lover of money. Paul says, you sh- as church leaders shouldn't be addicted to alcohol. All right. I think as I've been thinking about this, this verse and this passage, I've been, I've been in my mind, I've been adding to it the idea of drugs, prescription or illegal. Okay. In other words, we're to be, as a leader, you're to be controlled by the spirit of God, not by other spirits, if you will. Right. Now, does the Bible teach you can never have a sip of alcohol? No, I don't believe that. But I will tell you this as your pastor. I've seen alcohol do way more harm than good. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to be cautious, incredibly cautious of our use of alcohol or of our use of prescription drugs. I make sure that I go see one doctor when it comes to prescription medication so that, that, so that I'm, I'm cautious. They know how much I'm using. If I need to use it for whatever means, okay, I have, a, I have a bulging disc in my back. At times it flares up and I'm in pain. I make sure that when I get pain medication, I get it from one doctor. They know exactly how much I'm using. I'm cautious with that stuff because there are prescription medications that you take and you go, whoa, I'm in a different world right now, right? You know, pain's gone. I feel funny, you know? And so I can see how you get addicted to that. You have to be careful, right? We, we, we need to be controlled by the spirit of God. I will tell you this at Coastal, most of our church leaders choose to have little or no alcohol for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Not violent, but gentle. Literally, the word violent there means not a striker. There's no place for abuse, in the home, physical abuse in the home of a Christian man. And like I said, these passages are remarkably attainable. Not quarrelsome, okay? An elder must not be quarrelsome. I remember one time I was at a church, a church I was visiting, and there was a man there that was an elder in this church, and he said out loud, he said, my role on the board is to be the devil's advocate. And he didn't know me. He didn't know I was a preacher. My antenna went up like that, right? And I said to this man, I said, your pastor needs your encouragement. He needs your prayers. And he needs your support. He doesn't need the devil in the middle of his board meeting. He don't need a devil's advocate there. He needs a man of God that will stand behind him, help sharpen his vision, and lead the church. That's what he needs. Don't come in there with a quarrelsome spirit. At Coastal, man, I love my elder team. I I honor them. I mutually submit to them. I want wisdom. I want encouragement. If If my life is somehow out of line biblically, I want encouragement in that way. But none of us needs a contentious spirit or quarrelsome spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. This idea, letting this into the boardroom, has sidetracked way more churches than we realize. Because the boardroom becomes a bogged down mess with a quarrelsome spirit. They're not a lover of money, okay? By the way, nowhere in the Bible does the Bible condemn money or having money. It, it just declares that money must not have us. A pastor or an elder must not be materialistic, 
Money's important, by the way, if you're generous, right? We just raised a few bucks around here, didn't we? So the vision God gives, that's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. But money must not have a leader, okay? Next, Paul addresses the home life, 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he manage the church of God? An elder or pastor must have a well-managed home. Let me tell you something, church. A well-managed home takes time. A well-managed home takes time. You don't get to go out with your kids and have quality time. Quality time finds you by taking regular time. Our pastors and our elders at Coastal Community Church should be home enough to give leadership and instruction to their homes. I've seen churches, by the way, the first church I ever served in vocationally, they demanded a four to six nights a week of my time. And when I went to the pastor, uh, my lead pastor, I'm like, I've got a wife and kid. Like, how am I supposed to do this? And he essentially told me to suck it up and do it. And I want to tell you something, church. That's how most churches, that's what most churches expect of their vocational pastors. I refuse to do that at Coastal Community Church. I guard the calendar. And it's because of this. To be a, to be a pastor and to be an elder requires that you're, you're spending some time with your family. If you remember, about a year, year and a half ago, we had a Saturday night service. Part of the reason we did away with it, one of the main reasons, as I discussed, it was taking significant time from three church leaders, three, your pastor, your worship pastor, and your children's director. And it was, it was taking time away. There was just no other way to replace it. You couldn't say, hey, we've got your Saturday night from four to nine, but go ahead and take Thursday afternoon off. That doesn't give you family time back right? Does that make sense? And so we talked about, man, this, this is a potential danger for Coastal Community Church. We, we've got to address it. And when I'm here on Sunday morning, okay, I have a family. I have this kind of this dual role where I'm the pastor. My kids are often here for many hours, much longer than most of the families are. Same thing with the elders, same with the other pastors, right? And so there's times, believe it or not, that teenagers get rambunctious on their own without my supervision. And so there may be times that I'm talking to someone, we're talking about something serious, man. You have a, you had a medical issue this week. There's things going on in your home. You may talk to them out of the corner of my eye. I'll see one of my kids. I've got a choice to make. Do I take my pastor hat off for a minute and I become a father, I have to do that, right? And so don't get offended by that. In fact, I always tell people, look, I, I, I've got room on my calendar. All the pastors, all the staff members at Coastal have room on their calendar to meet with you. Sometimes on Sunday morning, man, I have to be a dad, right? And take a moment away from a conversation and go, hey, pre- give me one second, you know? And it takes time to be a parent. A well-managed home is part of what it means to be a pastor and elder. Does that mean all your kids are perfect? No. But it, they should be managed well. I don't think a, home, a pastor's home should be a place that harbors habitual sin as children grow older into adulthood. All right? It should be, we should be working as hard in our homes to bring up disciples as we are at the church. Pastor Andrew did a great job a couple weeks ago on, uh, on Father's Day. And he said, being a father should be exhausting. Okay? A home in disarray disqualifies a person from ministry. Paul goes on to remind us of this in 1 Timothy 3, 6. He says he shouldn't be, an elder shouldn't be a recent convert or he'll become puffed up and he'll fall into the condemnation of the devil. In other words, a leader should not be a new believer. A person needs some time in the faith. 
There should be a season of perseverance so a person doesn't fall into the devil's trap, right? Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about that, that some seed falls on the rocky ground. It springs up. It looks like a Christian, but time proves that it's not. I think a person should go through a little bit of a desert time with God where you wrestle with God. And that season, you know, one of the things that I always say when it comes to my marriage, I've been married over 20 years now. I love my wife more than I did 20 years ago. Why? Because there's a season of time and you learn about a person. You're like, wow, this person's incredible. And that stuff's born out over time. And then Paul instructs 1 Timothy 3, 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders that he may not fall into the disgrace of the devil. In other words, a person needs to have a good reputation. An elder and a pastor should have a good reputation in the community. I'm going to finish with this and we're going to close with prayer. And I know this is kind of meaty and kind of picking through a verse, but I just want you to know the importance of good leadership in a church. It's everything to guard the gospel, to lift up the fame of Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. Nobody's perfect. Even elders and pastors, they sin. And when an elder and a pastor sins, they should be humble, teachable, and repentant of sin. Habitual sin has no place in the life of an elder or pastor. In fact, later, and we're going to get into this in a couple weeks, this is why the Apostle Paul instructs in 1 Timothy 5 verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of what? What's it say, church? Two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. In other words, as your influence expands in a church, if you fall into habitual sin, then the people that need to know needs to expand as well. Does that make sense? Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. There's a healthy fear of falling into habitual sin. Now, habitual and unrepentant sin has no place, no place in, the, in the place of an elder or pastor. And Paul goes so far to say this should be brought into the, before the entire congregation. Uh, now, it is clear this isn't just a one-person accusation, but this is, the idea here is that of a proven lifestyle of disobedience or habitual sin. That's the character qualities of your pastors and elders at Coastal Community Church. I've got a couple of elders in here. Do you feel a little humbled by that? I do. I do. It makes me rely on the grace of God. I, during the music, I just kept praying. I'm like, Lord, I, nobody lives up to this perfectly. Thank you for your grace. Now, I'm going to close with this. <clears throat> this is what I say in the membership class, our We Are Coastal class. So I'm going to say it in front of the whole congregation. If this is your home church, you're incredibly blessed. If you're looking for a home church, I want to encourage you Look at the leadership level. Don't just, you know, we make decisions in our culture like, man, I like the music. Man, that's a that preacher. He's entertaining. He makes me laugh or he bores me. We make decisions on that. Well, he's boring. I, you know, let me tell you something. There's a deeper level than that. Look at the leadership and you are blessed. At Co we have a unique thing at Coastal Community Church. Okay, if you were to read our church constitution, church constitution gives the, gives the pastor a strong leadership. There's no doubt about it. But it's buffered with what I call a mutual submission to the elders. And you're blessed with some great elders at Coastal Community Church. And their goal is to build a unified church body so that the glory of G, the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forward. They're not playing games. They're not in there for title. They're in there for the purpose of Jesus being lifted up in the community. Now, this past year, we made a big decision as an elder board, one of the bigger ones we made in a long time. We decided to lead this church towards buying a Kroger building, right? You were part of that. 
Let me tell you how that didn't happen. We didn't come in there. I didn't come in there. I shared the vision. It was a vision I thought that God might be leading us to, but I didn't, I never came in and said, God is telling us to do this. I didn't go on high and hear from the voice of the Lord. I just thought it was an opportunity that God was presenting to us. And I wanted unity. And I went in there and I presented and then I listened. And if there was any disagreement there, I listened. And if someone said, well, I got a concern about this, and we talked about it. And then at the end of that, you know what we did? We voted. Hey, it's three to two. God's leading us this way. I hope you're laughing at that. That's not what you do, all right? Oh, it's three, two. Let's, it's, it's the, no, we worked together. We made sure what the Lord was doing. We understand that this is a big decision for the body of Christ. We took it seriously. We understood that not doing anything had implications. We had to do something because God is growing our body and we need parking seats and children's space. But we also understood that this was a big decision and we worked together in unity. And when I finally brought it to the congregation, we were 100% unified that this was the direction for Coastal Community Church. No doubt about it. With some disagreements and some tough nights and some prayer and fasting, by the way, as we work this together. I'm telling you, church, I'm not saying this because Sean Brown's the pastor, you're in a unique place where the elders protect so that the gospel may go forth for the glory of God the Father. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I know this is weighty and meaty stuff. It's important stuff, God. It, um, I think the thing that makes Coastal unique is this stuff. That the men of Coastal take their qualifications serious. They take their position serious. They work together in unity for the good of the body of Christ so that ministry will be unleashed, so that disciples will be made, so that Jesus Christ will be lifted up. Protect us, Lord, from pride. Protect us from disunity. Protect us from habitual sin that would in any way dishonor the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for this church body. I thank you, God, for their trust. And Lord, we, as elders, we take it as a sacred trust. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll tell you what, before we do our offering time, let me do this so you guys are aware. I see two elders in here. John, would you stand? Lamont, would you stand? Are any other elders in this room right now that I'm missing? I think a couple are on vacation. Good on them. Okay, so these are two of our elders. Okay, so you guys know godly men. And uh, if you ever want to talk to somebody about Coastal Community Church, they're your men. Okay, they're available to talk to. Love you guys. You can have a seat. All right, this is our offering time. If you're a guest at Coastal, don't feel an obligation to give the sermon, the service, or a gift to you. I know this was meaty today, not a whole lot of so what, but I think it's important for us as a church to know these things, okay, as we preach through the Word of God. Um, <clears throat> if you have a prayer need, our prayer team's on the front row. They were Purple shirts. They would love to minister to you this morning uh, with prayer. They'll be here during the offer time. They'll be here after service. If you're a guest, don't feel an obligation to give. This is one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal. Um, so, but if the guest, we'd love to have one thing on the side of your bulletins, a tear-off, fill that out. We just want to send you a thank you card for coming to Coastal Community Church. So with that, ushers, would you come forward? And I'll turn it over to Pastor Joey.